This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Adot Bronzum from 500 Startups on his recent project, Map of the Money version 4, jointly with Florian Komu, and discuss the trends in venture capital and fundraising across Southeast Asia. Hi, Arnott. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? All good, thank you. Thank you for hosting me in the 500 Startups office in Singapore. You're welcome. So... You have been on the show talking about your corporate innovation report and the Singapore startup ecosystem. So what have you been up to recently? So more recently, since we released this report with INSEAD, um, I spent a lot of time on the road talking to different conferences, um, meeting a lot of corporate, helping them to understand what they can do with startups. So recently, you have done something pretty interesting, which is the reason why I got you on the show. It's something called Map of the Money, and it's actually version 4 for Southeast Asia. This is a project that is done by not just you, but also with someone by the name of Florian Como, right? Correct. Can you just tell me a little bit? I know the story behind the Map of the Money, but it's better for you to tell me how did the Map of the Money actually start in the first place, and what was the first edition like? Well, I studied a long time ago by Meng, in fact, from JFDI. So Meng studied to do this map of the money. He did like three editions of the map. And the last one well, had been done like two years ago. So I think it was at the end of the Murudi Demo Day, two months ago, I was talking with Meng and I'm, I was like, hey Meng, what about updating the map of the money? Because it's two years old now and I think a lot of things have changed in the funding landscape in Singapore and in Southeast Asia. So it could be great to do it. And then Meng immediately suggests like, oh, let's do it also with Florian because it was also doing Mava. So then we decided to do an update. The original map of the money, what Ming did at that point in time was to collate all the venture capital, the angel investment funds, and then tries to map it on a scale to say which range are they at. Are they in seed, pre-seed, or series A, series B, all the way to pre-mezzanine. What happened and... Why did Florin and you decided to work the new version into a website? Because I've seen in this version, you actually have a map of the money.com, right? Yes, correct. So it was not the plan initially. We didn't plan to do a website. I think the, the plan was more about first doing an update of the map. We really take a little bit of time. So the plan initially was more about instead of just doing like some estimates, that what was initially what Meng was doing is also to survey all those VC and asking them to share the deals they did in the last 12 months to have a more precise idea about what they're doing in terms of investment size. So it's why we decided from the beginning to have like more like this survey system and be able also to show that also what is the 25 and 75 percentile for all of those VCs to have a better idea about where is the sweet spot in terms of investment and not only the range of the investment. So initially, we were looking to do a map of the money like many at the PDF version and having slightly more details on it. And then we decided to have a partnership with a design company to do the design of the map. And then it didn't work out very well. Florian suggested, okay, let's do that as a web version. So initially, we we're supposed to do exactly the same kind of design. But we need to do a web version because basically we got some trouble to do the design with a partner. So at the end, it's a good thing happened with this kind of pain in the middle of the, of the process. Mm-hmm. So it's why we, we moved to the web. 
And I think now we're quite happy about the web version. I thought maybe I should just also help the audience to introduce Wang Ming Wing, my friend from JFDI. He's currently running a startup called Legalist. And he has been quite instrumental in the Southeast Asia ecosystem where he actually also produced term sheets like myself. We did the open source angel term sheets in different capacities and he had produced this map of the money. And Florian, who's your co-partner in crime for this, did Marva, which is actually an estimation of the funds and the investments that have come on board to it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this map of the money website. What are the main features for anyone who are using it? So I think one of the main thing is already the list of like 70 active investors that you can find on this page. So we even if like some VCs, but also like some entrepreneurs who are already pretty plugged in the ecosystem, a lot of them told us they discover new names. So just by that, you find like new names of people doing investment on the, on the map. Then you get more accurate data from most of them having a very precise idea about what is the minimum and maximum size of the first check they are doing. We don't have yet any data about the follow-on, but we're also planning to get more data into it. And then you can also play with the web version. So meaning, let's say you are fundraising 4 millions, let's say it's a Series A, and you want to maybe get like 4 VC and all of them put around like 500k. So you can just press 1 million on the bottom on the, on the legend, and then you'll be able to see like a line and only the VC who can invest this amount of, of, of money. So they also show you like quickly what are the correct investors for, for your fund. And then you also have like on the other part of the of the website also the tab with all those seventy investors and uh, way more data about them. What like the who are the uh, managing partner or associates that you should talk to. So then we're still fulfilling that, but you, for most of them you have pretty solid information. And then you also still have access to a, a lot of data closer to what you were able to do with Mama. From what I understand from the original map that was did by Ming was only for Singapore. Yes. I think your map of the money now has actually extended up uh, outwards to the rest of Southeast Asia. In fact, for now, we're focused on this first version. I mean, 4.0, but first for Florian and myself, is only about VC who are active in Singapore. So it means it could be like an Indonesian VC who have done some investment in Singapore in the last 12 months. So, but the thing also is like most of the VC who are active in Singapore are also active in Southeast Asia in general. So even if for now the focus is Singapore, most of all the many fundraising, I got some people pinging me from Thailand. The guy told me he spent two hours on the map just to, to play with that and discover like new VC and see who could be the right VC for them. But the thing is we're planning also to expand and, and cover like Southeast Asia in the short term. I think when we talk about venture capital firms, I mean most of the venture firms are actually congregated in Singapore because of tax reasons and because it's used as like a Delaware for the rest of the region. In fact, most of the Indian unicorns are also registered in Singapore and etc. So, like for example, Ventura Capital in Indonesia, for example, Arden Capital in Thailand. So, your future version is actually to incorporate different regions to be placed on the map. So, or... the future version would be to have all the VC who are active in Southeast Asia. So, for example, you may get like Yahoo Capital, for example, because I've invested recently in a company in Malaysia. So it means you can also get like US or Japanese or maybe Chinese investors because they've invested in company in the region. So for example, Alibaba also maybe become like one of their funds that they have in the region. Like Hong Kong, they maybe be mapped on the on, on our map. So the idea about what we want to add is like the VC who are active in Southeast Asia. We want to add all the accelerators also in the region. And we want to add like social impact investors too. So the thing is, because then it will be a lot of data, a lot of VCs, then we, will, we may add like some filter on the web version that 
you'll be able to select series maybe the say the stage of the VC, which country and like some some features like that to allow people to see like clearly what is happening because we already have like 70 we maybe have 100 150 when we have the region then if you have like maybe 50 accelerators like 30 to 50 accelerators then it's becoming a very long map to scroll in this version also added corporate investors as well i presume yes. someone like singtel innovate or uob ventures or all that they're right. all included into your yeah we have, we have the corporates we have the vc we also have one super angel tovio anus so we're also looking to bring like few like super angel people who can really cut check like a quite a large, large scale and we're also planning to incorporate also some PE firm so for example like KKR invested in Gojek so that is also to bring for example like L Capital to bring like those people on the, on the map so essentially the map is not just for startups in the early stage but you're also going to look at a private equity for mezzanine financing as well because I think L Capital is very active in Southeast Asia they have actually acquired Charles and Keith which is a local brand and also they have done with uh, Crystal Jade as well so they have done a lot more but actually more traditional yeah more traditional and more late stage so, but that is really to cover like kind of the full spectrum of fundraising from the accelerator to the PE firm mm. and, and in a certain extent also maybe some angel super angel investors too yeah you see I know one of the great things of getting you here is to plug your brain about trends because I the, the thing I like about what you do for every analysis is actually you start looking at certain trends and what are the things that are coming and actually ongoing so maybe one thing I wanted to get you to plug your brain a little bit is to talk about some of in, in an article that you wrote about for this map of the money you talk about a couple of trends and I'm going to start talking each one of them first so the first one is about the entrance of US venture capital into Southeast Asia so what has changed for five years ago and till now who are the new players in town now so when we look after the Singapore ecosystem what's interesting to see is like the government pushed a lot with the TISHM uh, more from like 2008 onwards so then what we saw is more like local VC to, to set up here and then like was like at, at one point was like more jungle gonna get etc also red dots but it was like more local singaporean vc but then at one point you start to see like some japanese vc also to enter the market like more like reventures or ing and then we started to see like more american vc like 500 and sequoia capital who set up their fund to invest in a, in a region so sequoia is through the indian fund and founded a local fund here in a Asia. Yes, in fact, the Sequoia Fund was run by Shai, and then I think now there is Peter Kemps, who was formerly from Amazon, and Inglan, who's formerly from the National Research Foundation. But some of the local VCs, for example, like Golden Gate, Vini came from Silicon Valley, we know because I've interviewed him on the show. Jeff who was one of the founders of the Founders Institute for within this region. And in Singaporean And in Singaporean too. So is there a competition between the US venture capital and the local firms, or do they co invest more often? I think the beauty of the VC industry is like there's a lot of co-investment, a lot of collaboration. So it's what maybe we call more like co-repetition. So it's like collaboration and competition together. It's like you also want to share deals with some investors because you may want to co-invest with them in the future too. So what we saw is more like also the change on the stage on some of those VCs of another like Jungle, Golden Gate, were initially quite a small fund, like around 10 million. And now they are becoming more of a 60 to 100 million fund each. So those people are moving from seed stage to more like Series A. Maker is also growing uh, in terms of size, like will be like around 60 million. Powered, we just make the announcement that the new fund will be 50 million too, but staying at the seed stage. So we saw like some movements and also fund becoming bigger. So this is something that was, we saw like more and more in the in Southeast Asia, it's like a lot of those funds were small because it was 
not so many deals also around. It was more like the MVP of that fund, the first fund. You raise like five to ten million to to start to see how it works. Then you do some good investment. You get some traction, like as a startup, and then you raise a bigger fund to sometimes go to a bigger stage or from seed to Series A. Otherwise, to because you want to deploy more money at the same stage, like more like WaveMaker and founder startup. It aligns with what Smitty, who came on from Seed Plus a few episodes ago, he was also commenting that most of like, for example, Jungle and Golden Gate these days, they actually actually have real LPs. That means actually most of these venture funds started off by just like getting investments from friends, family, or yeah. even other investors from elsewhere. But now it's becoming that they are actually starting to learn how to manage LPs. It's like almost a kind of a growth cycle it's, in it's the VC exactly fund. like a startup in a way. It's like, uh, for example, founder setup, the first fund was a 23 million fund by Dave Michler. Um, and he got also some of the money from people that he know. And he started like a few years ago. He tried to raise the first fund. He didn't succeed a long time ago, the first time it didn't work. So it's like a startup, like the first time you raise money, you raise money from family, friends and fools. When you raise your first fund, it's almost the same story. The first, so the first one you are really raising on the pitching a story. So it's like an entrepreneur with attraction, you're just telling what this will work. The second fund is like the Series A, seed Series A for, for a founder. So then you set to have a little bit of traction, but you're still pitching a lot because you don't get so much, especially if you're raising fast, like only two years or three years after the first fund. The third fund becoming complicated most of the time because people start to really check the results of the first one. So then it's no more storytelling, it's more about traction, it's more like kind of a series B for a startup. You don't talk anymore about what you should do in the next 12 to 18 months, people look a lot about what you did in the past. I think one interesting thing you pointed out is the emergence of new seed venture capital. What are the main funds and how do they invest in? So, I mean, C plus is, is, is one of the new one, and it's also interesting because they have a very strong link also with Jungle. So Jungle moved to Series A, but they were also thinking about why maybe we need also to keep some stuff happening in a, in a seed stage. Coverage is doing seed stage is one of the new one in the last two years. So Founded and C plus are maybe the two most visible one doing a seed stage in Singapore. The thing is, when we look after most of the VC who are doing the TSHM, I think maybe the top three maybe have been, uh, based on what they're doing now, must be like Jungle, Gonna Get and WaveMaker. And maybe some of other one maybe not doing so well. I mean, it really depends. Some of them looks like less visible. The thing is, for VC to die, it takes maybe 10 years. You have money for 10 years, so it's quite difficult to see compared to a startup. So the thing is, I think the government did a good job by, by supporting those VCs and know those some of them are doing pretty well. And we'll see what happens with the other one. It's maybe still a bit early to... Do you notice that those that graduate from C to Series A, their footprint is also becoming regional as well? I mean, if you talk to about Golden Gate, I think they actually did it in their first fund, but they now already, I think it's more significant. Oh, they already did like some investments at seed stage uh, outside of Singapore, but also the thing is, when you start to have a bigger fund, and especially if you move to Series A, there may be not enough deal only in Singapore for one VC, so they may need anywhere to go across like different markets. Mm. That reminds me of uh, Ong Peng Sin and Kuoi's Monk's Hill Ventures, right? Where I think a lot, most of their footprints actually in Indonesia and Jakarta, rather than actually in Singapore itself. Yeah, I mean, Jakarta is also a very interesting uh, market, very interesting market also to to pitch to a potential LPs because of the size of the country. Mm. Uh, and it's also the fourth biggest country in the world, the biggest Muslim country. So, and 272 million population. It's very interesting and you get a lot of people online now, also in those countries. Gojek is also quite an interesting unicorn now. I mean, Matari Mall is uh, getting like a half a billion investment from the... Lipo, the Lipo family and Lipo family are also investors in Ventura. So you get also some Indonesian company, even if conglomerate or family business, to really want to 
go to this kind of new industry, more digital than what they were used to do in the past. Do you see the same evolution actually happen for corporate venture funds? I mean, the most earliest that we know is Singtel Innovate. I mean, we see more corporations now within the region have set up their own corporate venture funds. For example, SPH, they did something with Plug and Play, but they stopped after two programs. Do you see other, well, other funds that come I out? I think it's not confirmed yet that they're mm. that shutting down. It? Uh, it was an article, but yeah. the article got shut down for sure. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, I think the article has been removed. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I think it's not confirmed yet. Mm. They still have the fund for sure, and then they may be still doing some incubation on some startups. So what we saw is like few things. What is really exploded in the last few months, maybe last 12 months, is a corporate innovation center in Singapore by corporation. Like a lot of them are doing that. Is is above maybe one to two thousand now. You get like even if like Visa, you got DHL, you got Accenture, all those corporate having their own innovation center. DBS, for example. And, and this is supported by the for some of them is supported by the government. So this is one thing. Another visible thing is our corporate accelerators. So then you look after Murudi, SPH, MediaCorp, all those corporate are running their own program. But also all those banks like DBS, UOB. OCBC are also running their own program. Mm. So a lot of corporate, a lot of bank, and a lot of things around fintech for those two first things. Then something a little bit also visible is a corporate uh, venture arm. So some of them are doing MediaCorp also is becoming to do more and more investment also. SPH, as we mentioned, Singtel is doing for a while. Challenger is also doing his own venture arm. Capital Land. Capital Land. But the thing is interesting is because when you mentioned about some of them are also very linked to the government. Some other like Challenger is more independent. So, but you get like almost everyone doing their own venture arm now. And there's few other coming. I mean, Razor also just announced their own venture arm. Yep. Um, so it's like more and more also on this side. And something a bit less visible, you also get a lot of corporate having one or two employees paid to work with startups, and some of them, those positions are also sponsored by the government. So this is a bit less visible, but it's also another part of corporate working more with startup here in Southeast Asia, hmm. especially yeah. Singapore. And actually, the interesting thing is that most of these corporate funds is actually not just investing within Singapore, it's actually within the region or even further beyond. For example, Capital Land, they actually have footprint in China, in real estate and elsewhere in different parts of the world. So when they think of, when they talk about setting up their own venture fund, it's not just like we're doing it in Singapore, which is really a small population of 5.2 million, but they're talking about why they're similar for Singtel, which have about 6 million mobile subscribers, right? Because they own so many parts of the telcos on there. So when people come into Singapore, it's, it's quite, you have this strange feeling we live on an island, yet we, are, we have a lot of global reach. So help me understand, there is also a nation from these funds of Series B fund recently, which are the funds in, that are in this space and how do they operate? So the last one, and the, maybe also the most visible one, was B Capital Group, who was a co-founder of this fund, is also the former, I mean, the co-founder of Facebook. And I also have as LP like BCG and in this fund B Capital. And so they just announced the first close at 140 million and the target will be, so far is 250 million. So they're quite visible, they already have done like few investments, I think between three to five. So it's quite interesting because I think it starts to be the right time now to have like this kind of B round fund. Start to have more and more company have raised Series A and looking for Series B now in, a, in the region. In that article, you talk about some of the major milestones that happened in Southeast Asia, which are actually starting to show you some maturity of the ecosystem itself. What are they? So when we look just after like fundraising, we, we found that they get like on the last two years, like some massive fundraising in the region. So the, the biggest one was this 1 billion from Alibaba to Lazada, which was 
maybe not considered as a fundraising because it's a they, ISO. They got they got a controlling stake, so maybe like between fifty one to fifty three or fifty four percent of the company. But it's still like Alibaba putting like a billion in a company. So so this is, is a lot of money. It's really money coming from China to Southeast Asia. But also what is interesting is also that Alibaba also invested in SingPost. They also put a quarter billion in SingPost. So it's not the first investment of Alibaba in the region. People may pay a little bit more attention on the on the Lazada thing. But when you think about e-commerce and delivery, they start to have a lot of investment in the region done by, uh, done by Alibaba. I should be a bit... I have a full disclosure that I have a senior executive working for SingPost and I do not have any comment on this. Okay, <laughs> I just mentioned what I saw in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you get also a Gojek, we just raised recently like 550 million for Indonesia. And you get also like some other investment that it was property guru also raised 130 million. And the Grab just closed slightly above like 600 million. Uh, recently, but also what is interesting in all those deals that I mentioned, like Lazada, we get a corporate Alibaba, Gojek, you get Rakuten Ventures investing in that, Simpost, Alibaba again. Then you look at Property Guru, it was MTech company who invested in this in this deal. If you look after Grab, Soft, SoftBank invested. So then what we saw is like, because this is a later stage, we saw also more corporate coming to those deals. But what is also visible is also that PE. Companies are also doing some investments. So KKR was part of the Gojek. NSI Ventures is the venture arm of. This one by Hango. Is is also like PE slash VC doing investments. So Mm -hmm. later stage, more like PE and more corporate also coming to those rounds. But there are also some acquisitions that happened along the way that changed the dynamic as well. Would you want to talk about some of these acquisitions? So what is interesting on the acquisition side is is why I listed as a number one, even if in terms of side, is not the biggest one, but... Google acquired Pi, and this was interesting because in the region they got bigger. I mean, the biggest acquisition so far in Singapore is Vicky at 200 million, but a lot of people talk about Pi. Few reason Vicky was already like few years ago, and we invested in Vicky as as 500. But the thing is, Pi have been acquired by Google, so people saw wow, Google acquired a company in Southeast Asia. So people started thinking like, oh, Southeast Asia start to produce some interesting stuff. It's not only about copying what is happening in in US or in China, which is was. I think basically in Akiyar, it was not so much about the product, but really about the amazing team who was part of Pi. But I think this is also because Google has some plan to be, to reach out to the next billion user, and they want also to localize and adapt their product for Southeast Asia slash Asia. So I think it's more like also this kind of interest for large corporation in the region. Yeah, but I know the guy who did the deal, which is Caesar Sankupta, who came on the show to talk about Google's next billion initiative. And then you get also like Zopim, it was like a, a large acquisition for Singapore by Zendesk for 30 million. I think it was an interesting story because it was uh, the founder was Singaporean and they almost bootstrap, almost didn't raise money. I think they get maybe one or two grants from the government. So it was an interesting story because it's, it's pretty good in terms of. So they have all became business angels, right? Are they on your map on the money? Royston. Yeah, I know Royston did, uh, did some investment, but on the map of the money, we so far we bring only Tovio because Tovio may have done like 25 to 30 investments and he's doing it at a different scale. Like if we just list everyone who have done like one or two investments as an angel, the list would be very long. But maybe in the future, we may just look after people who have done at least three deals in the last two years or last year. Then you narrow the list and you don't have so many angels. So the idea is, same for VC, really who is active on the landscape. Then, of course, you get Luxola, you get acquired by Sephora, by LVMH. So this was also quite a visible acquisition. And Nonso Games were acquired by King.com, was also one of the biggest acquisitions in the last two years. Do you see the formation of categories? I mean, you talk about fintech. 
being very hot now in Southeast Asia, particularly in Singapore because it's a financial capital. Do you see certain categories become more important? I mean, e-commerce due to the influence of Lazada and to extent of a lot of the other logistics company, Ninja Van, uh, Singpost and etc. I think on, on uh, what we saw from the board, if we take the example of e-commerce, is maybe a bigger fragmentation. So the thing is, on the past, you get still like rebounds, also like a pretty good like Singaporean company that few people know about it because they're quite discreet on the, on the startup landscape, but they're doing pretty well also. The thing is, except maybe rebounds, it was really like when Lazada and Zalora arrived, that they rebuilt like this kind of e-commerce ecosystem by having like a very large offer. And, and then we also start to have like more logistic and more payment company. Uh, you may find above like 30 payment company covering Southeast Asia now. So you start to really have a lot of them and not only like just few, where it was a bit more difficult. If you think about Thailand, for example, like Omize, they started by being an e-commerce company. Then it had so much trouble in payment that they moved to become a payment company. They just closed the 50 million round uh, Series B, so which is I think the biggest Series B round for a fintech company in the region now. Of course, you get like some old players like 2C2P, Mo, but now we really see like a new generation of payment company coming in the, in the region. And same for the e-commerce, you start to see like more niche business because now you start to have the infrastructures and people are also more trust on e-commerce, willing to buy online, etc. So then you start to have the emergence of like more niche categories in, uh, in this space. I want to ask you, which are the five official unicorns in Southeast Asia? I know nowadays the word unicorn is no longer used for good reasons, but it's probably good to at least... Now we should have some official ones, right? Yeah, so when you look after a company having a valuation above $1 billion, the biggest one so far is Garena. Um, it's more about like $4 billion-ish now, with the, with the largest from the But they company. also have a venture arm that do investments too, right? They are, they are working on that too, right. So, so this, I mean, this... It depends on the company, but you get like company was like let's say considered as a startup also doing investment. If you look at Twilio, so example when you see in Twilio too, they just did the IPO, but Twilio also have an investment arm. So the thing is, this makes sense especially when you're a platform company and you want to grow your ecosystem. So some of those companies still considered as startup also have the investment arm. And Garena, they they just doing that now a little bit more, but they already have done investment, for example, in Redmart and etc. Before. I think I mean a clear structure for, for investment this way. Grab is also a unicorn for, for quite a while now. Lazada, same, which was based by a uh, by Rocket. Razer, depending on if you consider them like US or Singapore. I still consider them a US company, but me in Singapore, yes. Yeah, so for Singapore, they may still consider as a unicorn. And, and Gojek in Indonesia is, uh, is also a unicorn. So what is interesting is like four of them are based in Singapore too. That's interesting, right? We are considered a small island nation. I think is when you look after like uh, Garena, Lazada, um, they have been studied in Singapore. Razer, I think at one point it was between US and Singapore, and Grab have studied in, in Malaysia and then they moved to Singapore. But same, right? If you look after Flipkart, they incorporated in Singapore, so you also get some of these Indian company who are incorporated in Singapore. So that is, how do you consider them? Is it based on where they have the HQ? Is based where meaning where you have the leadership team? always based where the companies are incorporated. Because if you just look at the incorporation, the most famous state in the US is not California, it would be Delaware. Delaware would be the state producing the biggest number of unicorns in the US. So incorporation is maybe not the perfect way to do it. It's quite easy to do. That is more like where the leadership team would be the way to describe what the company is. I have a last question. What are the key things that 
one should know when actually doing fundraising. I think in this part of the world, it's not as sophisticated as in the US, which I actually have spent two and a half months sitting in Silicon Valley actually watching that. I think it, it depends also on which stage you are. If, if you're like very early stage, I feel if you just have an MVP or very early, just an idea and you need money, initially it's more like angels who will fund like this kind of stage of entrepreneurship. If you're like a little bit later with a bit of traction, then you can start to talk to VC because even if you're still pitching a lot of the ID, at least we can show that something is, is working a little bit. And, and then, I mean, when you raise like later stages, of course, it's sharing the vision of the company, but if you have very solid traction, this will really help you because technically, like numbers don't lie. It just, if you get an amazing traction, there's no discussion about if the ID work or not, right? So if you have data, you can prove what you're saying. If you don't have data, the VC may think is right and you're wrong. So then it's, it's more difficult for them to prove. He may agree with you, but then it's kind of making a bet about if this person will have the same vision than you, if something will work. Data is very helpful if you're able to prove. Same, if you're able to get some revenue and be able to break even at the stage you're fundraising, even if better for an entrepreneur. Typical last question, how do my audience find you? So it's, it's quite easy. I would say you can find me like on, of course, on LinkedIn. I also have my own website where I share like most of my side projects. And I try also to be uh, quite active on SlideShare by sharing some of my side projects on it too. Your Twitter account? Arno Bonzom, first name, last name. And you can find me at bleongcw.bernaleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E plus Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and Google Play. And I've actually received some feedback from our audience. And in fact, one of my audience, actually Vidit, has actually suggested for me to try to do something about payments in Southeast Asia because it's a very big problem. So it's pretty important that I actually going to start doing a lot of that. So once again, um, Arnold, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you.